All right. Hey again, everybody. It's good to see y'all again. Um, so last week when I was here, uh, the primary thing that I talked about, even though I, I was using Dr. David Hawkins' levels of consciousness, and I'll probably at some point be going back to that. But um, one of the things that I talked about was those levels of consciousness that he calls under level 200 that I referred to as the lower ego. And I mentioned that it's helpful to uh, go through the purification phase. And really what the purification phase is, uh, is letting go of false beliefs, letting go of attachments, letting go of values, etc., that keep you attached to that lower ego. And what I mentioned was that this week, what I would like to do is answer questions that you have about that, uh, you know, and then we'll we'll, we'll kind of move on. Uh, one thing that I thought was kind of funny last week, I don't know if you noticed it, but the lady that came on after me for satsang, I think just continued talking about the same thing, right? <laughs> so even though I only had half an hour, we had kind of two hours of that discussion. Uh, so hopefully you had lots of time to contemplate the importance of the purification process or what Dr. David Hawkins calls courage. And also one of the things I said last week, um, which I think is really important, was that the purification phase or the courage phase did not happen by accident, that it was a decision, right? It was a decision to use everything that came up in my life for the purpose of healing the mind. That is the language that I used. So what I would like to see is after a week of contemplating that, if you all have any questions that you would like to ask. And I do have a few questions that came in email, but I'll wait and see if there are any questions here first before I shift over to email. Okay, Shana. So if if I find that I'm in the courage phase, I can drop back down into the lower phases and also up into a higher phase during the courage phase. Is that true? Well, it's kind of interesting, you know. I, I not in the way that I interpret the levels of consciousness. Uh, when you are in the courage phase, uh, you are doing things like looking at shame, looking at guilt, looking at fear, looking at anger, and you will certainly experience those things. But the fact that you experience something does not mean that your primary state is that level. Um, and I think this is where people get sometimes confused. For example, that actually leads to one of the questions in email, Shauna. So let me go ahead and just jump over to that question because I think it fits with yours. The question says, you shared that you experienced a phase of purification and after that, one of neutrality, willingness, et cetera. 
In my experience, they all show up without any specific order. I do have times of stillness, peace, and acceptance, alternating with courage and purification. And still out of nowhere, anger or fear kicks in, even though believing gets less and less. So running up and then down the scale of frequencies is more what I experience. Can you address this? So um, one thing that comes to mind is I'm reminded of Peace Pilgrim's teaching. You know, Peace Pilgrim really talking about the courage phase or the purification phase. Peace Pilgrim talked about the hills and valleys of what she called the spiritual path. And she said that the hilltops were these times of peace and joy. And then the valleys or when you went back into the ego to learn more lessons, which I would call for more letting go. And she says that as you went back into the valley to learn more lessons, and then if you, you know, learn that lesson and, and implemented that lesson into your life, then the next hilltop was even higher, right? So it starts off where there's this level of peace and then back into ego, and then this level of peace, and then back into ego, and then this higher level of peace, and then back into ego, and then this higher level of peace, and then back in the ego. And then eventually she talks about coming to the top and never needing to go back into ego again. And she says that learning continued to go up. That process that she's talking about is the courage stage. That is the purification stage. That's that's how it's experienced. So you will have everything from, I'll call it the lowest emotional experience, which would be shame, all the way up to great uh, highs of peace, acceptance, joy. But if you to look, if you pull back from a bird's eye view and you look at it as a whole, and you ask, what's the primary thing that's going on here? The primary thing that's going on here is purification. So, you, you know, all of these things, for example, one of the stages was what he calls willingness, which I said I would call service if I had named them. You know, when I entered into the willingness stage, I entered into a very strong stage of service. Uh, and that's when I started uh, awakening together, when I was guided to found. How, how do you say that when you're saying past tense? Is that, is that the word past tense when I was guided to found awakening together? Um, my primary stage then was service. However, I did serve prior to that stage, <laughs> you know, and I still serve even though I'm past that stage. So we're not looking at the details of what I do. All those things may be included to some degree. We're looking at the primary stage that you're in. You kind of have to pull back and say what's really going on here. Uh, when, I, when I say that um, the primary thing that was going on during the courage stage was purification, that's because in spite of you know, it's funny because if you listen, if you were to listen to all of my teachings, like I just did, and uh, you'll hear me talk about, oh, I'm experiencing this great peace I've never experienced before. You know, I mean, I'm having those hilltop experiences and then something happens to bring up more ego. Right. So all of that is going on in that stage. What happened when I got to the neutrality stage is those hills and valleys stopped. 
right? When I got to the neutrality stage, uh, it was like everything was okay. And it was very interesting because uh, at that time, this is right after I moved to Pueblo and I had lots and lots of guests. It was almost like every time somebody left, somebody else came. You know, every now and then we get a couple weeks off without guests, but we had all these guests all the time and everybody brought different stuff into the house, meaning different energy, different habits, different ways of being. And what I noticed primarily, what I noticed is how I was at peace with everything, right? That, you know, I wasn't bothered by these different people and their different ways of being. This was actually the neutrality stage. It was a very easy place to be. But at the same time with the neutrality stage, there was this knowing that there was a rest going on. And in fact, one thing that I heard in, in, and I always, you know, so I always point back here when I talk about guidance, one thing I heard a lot in that stage was not to rest on my laurels. And uh, you know, one thing that Dr. David Hawkins says about the neutrality stage is that lots of people will do just that when they hit the neutrality stage because it feels so good. They stay there for the rest of a lifetime. They never continue on. Um, what I perceive to be the guidance that moved me out of the neutrality stage and into the service stage or willingness stage was when I was guided to take that year off for increased silence. And I spent five to seven hours a day contemplating the seven steps to awakening. And what happened during that time was this, you know, I mean, you know how uh, Michael Langford talks about increasing your desire for liberation. That's what that year was. Okay. Let's just that's what that year was. That's what happened in that year when I was just contemplating, contemplating, contemplating. And when I got to the end of that year, I was guided to start awakening together. And that's what moved me into the stage of service. And now, even though I had done service before, oh my God, that is the primary thing that was going on in my life at this point, right? Everything else that was going on was secondary to the, to the, to the starting up awakening together and writing the minister preparation program and you know just serve 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 that's all life was about so when you're looking at these stages that doesn't mean occasionally something didn't come up that still needed to be purified because it certainly did you know um and that doesn't mean that there wasn't peace because there certainly was also i mean all these things were there right um, doesn't mean I wasn't practicing acceptance, which is actually the next stage, because I was. But the primary focus was service. You see, the primary focus was was um, service or willingness, as he calls it. So, so when you're looking at these stages, you need to be looking at the primary focus of what's going on and not the details. It's not like in one moment. You're in you're at level 99, and the next moment you're at level 400, and the next moment you're at level 300, right? It, it's not that, even though you experience, have those experiences. Does that answer your question, Shauna? Okay, good. <laughs> good, good. All right, and I notice um, Marisol has put her hand up. Yes. Hi, Regina. I just wanted to know, once you reach that stage of neutrality, would yeah. do you still experience ego? 
Uh, yes. I mean, I still, ex- I, depending on what you mean by experience ego, I still experience ego now. Uh, so what happens is the way that you experience it changes. Uh, prior to the courage stage and throughout most of the courage stage, I and ego were the same thing, right? I and ego were the same thing. After the courage stage and increasingly as you move on up through the different stages, ego becomes something that you see, something that appears, but it's no longer I. You know, like, oh, the ego, the ego uh, is here. It has these thoughts of frustration and it's easy to let go because it's not me. I'm not frustrated. So you experience the ego and that it still appears, you still see it, you still recognize it, but you don't identify with the ego. You don't live from the ego. That's what's different. Does that answer your question? Yeah. So you found like you wouldn't just, you wouldn't easily get hooked into it or the experience of the feelings involved and all that stuff. Absolutely. In fact, uh, from the, from the time I exited the courage stage and and entered into uh, neutrality and beyond uh, my experience of getting hooked into ego uh, became rare. And when I did get hooked, I could get hooked for seconds or minutes instead of hours or days. And there's a reason for that, at least in my experience. It's funny because I remember reading this in the course, but um, the course said something about how much energy it takes or how, you know, how much effort we put into ego. (laughs) Uh, And that's a true statement. And so what happens as you let go of ego and you're no longer putting your energy into that is um, that effort, when you do, when you slip back into it temporarily, that effort becomes so much more obvious. I mean, it's just like, it's just, you know, before you lived there and you didn't notice how hard you were working to stay in ego. But after you've gotten to a certain point, when when that starts to happen, you, you just notice it. It's just this hard feeling as opposed to the easiness that you are used to living in. And so it wakes you up really fast and you don't want it. You, that's the whole thing. See, what we don't understand when we're living in ego is that we still want it. I still want my way by God. You see what I mean? I still want you people to act the way I want you people to to act. But you see the wanting that's there? What happens, the shift that happens is all that force that it requires to want the ego becomes difficult to bear. And so when you start to slip back into that force of, you know, I want this and putting all that energy into it, you don't like how it feels. And you want to shift back into feeling good again. It's that simple. And so you find yourself dropping it much more quickly. It's just, it's uncomfortable. It's like putting on an old skin that you're no longer interested in at all. I, I, you know, it's kind of like moving from a lawn chair on the beach back into the jackhammers of the city. You know, you just don't want it. Thank you. You're welcome.
Anything else? I could go to email, see what we have here in email. Okay, so some of this is all, some of these questions are actually also related to uh, the homily that I gave this morning. Uh, this question, this question is lately, I came across different approaches referring to the power of intention. And it refers to Neville Goddard's The Power of I Am and The Power of Eight by Lynn McTaggart. And it says, to me, they all sound like the law of attraction, which I definitely got from you is not in alignment with desiring only truth. What's different in them is that they refer to the I am or the heart as the source of the desire instead of of the I or the ego. Let's say the heart desires abundance, peace, etc., and therefore the intention to abundance, peace, etc., is set. Is this just a facet of the desire for truth? Or is this misleading? And I can't in any way directly answer this question because in order to directly answer it, um, I would need to know what Neville Goddard's The Power of I Am says. And I would need to know what Lim McTaggart's The Power of Eight says. And I don't know. So, <laughs> so in that way, I'm not going to directly comment. Uh, but as I read the question, there are some things about my own experience that get brought up. So. Um, one thing that I have found since I have been on the spiritual path is that when I am surrendered, and I mean fully surrendered, as I talked about this morning, where there is no self-will, zero self-will, and I can definitely drop down to that place within me where I would do anything spirit asked me to do. In fact, one time that I dropped down there very clearly was when the guidance for the retreat house came. Um, I was on my knees in a little church and I let go of everything. I let go of who I think I am. I let go of all of my money. I let go of my home. I let go of my daughter. I mean, all this letting go happened and I would have done anything, gone anywhere in that moment that I was asked to do. There were zero attachments, zero self-will. But what came in was the guidance to start the retreat house. So what do you call that? Maybe that could be called the desire of consciousness. You see? And it came to me as guidance. Now, the desire of consciousness, however, would be the desire of, you know, from the perspective of people, would be the desire of um, many or the calling of many instead of the calling of one. Uh, you know, like somewhere within ourselves, we are at a stage where we are desiring a place to go to take that next step with God. We're desiring a place where we can go and have that opportunity to go a little deeper before we go back into our normal lives. And so as a result of this cumulative desire, this type of guidance was born. Um, 
for me, it was never a desire. Uh, there was instead what I would call a motivation. Once the guidance came to start the retreat house, then what was also given to me was all of the motivation I needed to, to complete that project, right? Uh, all of the, like one thing that Regina never has liked doing <laughs> is things like fundraisers. You know, like that's just not my cup of tea. But the motivation came to do the fundraisers, right? The motivation came to um, to begin looking at the properties and, the, you know, all the motivation to get all that done. And in fact, when we finally bought the retreat house, the motivation that was there for Jacqueline and me, Jacqueline and I were working, what, Jacqueline, 15, 16 hour days for three or four months straight, nonstop motivation, just buying furniture, buying dishes, setting things up, planning processes. And so I don't call that desire. It wasn't a desire, but it was a type of motivation that came from somewhere and allowed us to get everything done, right? Everything that we needed to do. You know, for example, um, there was this time when I was guided to invite this lady named Debbie to live with me. Some of you might know, remember Debbie, she was a, a thief and a drug addict. <laughs> And um, I invited Debbie to live with me. There was no desire to have Debbie live with me. In fact, I even told Spirit, I said, if this is you, I, I need some confirmation. And I did, I did get the confirmation. Um, but once the guidance was accepted, there was all of this motivation and all of this love for Debbie. I mean, just, you know, everything I needed to live with Debbie and to fulfill that role for that period of time was given. So uh, that's what I find more comes from consciousness than desire, right? It's the guidance and then the motivation and whatever other resources are needed to fulfill the guidance. But it never feels like a desire. A, de a desire has a different feel to it. Right. Uh, a desire is something I want. And this is more here's the guidance. And then here's all of this motivation, all of this energy. Right. Motivation is a type of energy. All of this energy. Like now, you know, even right now, these projects that I'm working on, uh, this is in, this is these projects that have come up that were unplanned are in addition to the work that was planned for my last year. <laughs> Right. So, you know, like when I was working on the project to do the snippets for YouTube, I could not stop listening to to these audios. A, I've never gone back and listened to my own audios. And B, I very seldom listen to anybody's audios. Anybody who knows me well knows Regina prefers to read and contemplate. Listening is not her style because I like to be able to do it a little slower. Right. But during this project, I couldn't stop listening. It's like every time I sat down and it felt like I had nothing to do, listen to an audio, right? And, and since the project is done, guess who's not listening to hardly any audios again? Because the motivation went away. It was no longer needed, right? It wasn't like, even though it felt almost like an addiction for two and a half months because the motivation was there. <clears throat> Once the job was done, the motivation went away and it fell away. I have no interest in going back and listening to my audios now. Um, now I'm working on other projects and that's where I'm spending all of my time. So again, 
I don't find desires coming from the true I am, but I do find guidance and motivation. Um, so there was one more question in email, I'll answer that, and then we'll see if there's anything else here. And if not, we'll move on. And I think this question was more related to the homily this morning. It says, your homily today just rocked it. Got some really helpful pointers to the questions that arose in me while listening to your last clarifying the teachings. Still, some confusion is lingering. I especially can see how a part in me is struggling with the practicability of 100% desirelessness. No other desire than truth. How does that look in daily life? My common sense tells me that it's sensible to eat, have a shower, go to the grocery, take care of my family, pay my bills. But what does any of that have to do with truth? I'm going to stop there and answer that part before I continue, because this is a fairly long question. Some of it's probably going to, she starts to answer her own questions. So some of it's probably going to be very similar to what I'm going to say. Um, but this was one of the very first kinds of guidances that I began to receive um, was to surrender the daily things in life, you know, like what I wear, what I eat, what I'm going to do now. And, and she even comments on that. She says, this reminds me of Inner Romana, surrender the common practices of the day, uh, such as what to eat and what to wear, when to sleep, what to say, when to speak. Uh, surrender of such practices is letting go of ego because ego indulges itself, its sense of self through ordinary practices such as these. That's a quote from Inner Romana. She says, I find it much easier to identify the guidance when it comes to huge decisions like moving house or changing job, but the minutia is kind of tricky. Can you share how surrendering in daily life looked, what surrendering in daily life looked like for you? And I can. Um, I can't say it will be exactly the same for you. All right. So I, I can describe what it was like for me, but I can't say it's exactly the same for you. Um, one thing that I learned to do was to live in the question instead of the thinking. And so what that would mean is when I go to the closet, instead of thinking about what I'm going to wear today, I would learn to ask, hmm, what am I going to wear today? Right. And then what happened for me was things would begin to just like pop. Like I'd notice that blouse and I'd notice those pants and, you know, they just kind of popped. I don't know how else to say that. They stood out and I grab them and put them on. Uh, the same thing happened with food. I began to shop in the same way. I began to cook in the same way. I began to select from a menu in the same way. So I learned to replace thinking about what I want with asking what I want. And um, I think this is it even in the course, in the manual for teachers. I think if you go read the manual for teachers, the section on trust, it will say that one of the things the teacher of God finally learns to do is to ask what he wants in all circumstances. So instead of thinking about what I want, I ask, what do I want? What do I want to eat? What do I want to wear? You know, you're asking and, and the answer is provided. Um, where I found this difficult, 
All right. And this is very important. And this goes right back to this morning's homily. <laughs> Where I found this difficult is when I had already decided what I wanted. Right. So if I had already decided what I wanted and then I tried to ask and I received an answer, uh, there was this conflict sometimes. For instance, one time I really remember this conflict becoming obvious for me was um, on a, again, it's minutia. She's talking about minutia. It was minutia. I, I, I can't remember whether I had decided I was going to check the mail uh, or do dishes or, or what, but it was something small like that. And when I asked with them, what am I to do? The other one was what came. So like, let's say I decided I was going to check the mail. Maybe I'm even walking towards the door already. Right. And I asked, what am I going to do? And it came up dishes. And what I found was I'd have this huge, huge resistance. It became very, very difficult for me to follow guidance. I, I would still do it. I would still do it. But I had to like walk through this huge resistance wall to do it. Uh, it was very difficult for me. It was very uncomfortable. That's what I mean. It was very uncomfortable for me when I had already decided what I wanted. So the key, now it, think about it. If I'm already deciding what I want, like let's say I'm already deciding to check mail, right? I've already decided. Wouldn't you say that I decided I want to check mail? You see, that's desire. Or as we talked about this morning, that's self-will. So because I had already decided what I want, the guidance was very difficult. Uh, and I would imagine that for some people, although I would still hear the guidance, but be very uncomfortable in trying to follow it. I would imagine for some people, they won't even hear guidance if they've already decided what they want. Right. You won't even be able to hear it. So the key is to learn to stay in the I don't know mind. Right. I don't know what I want. I don't know what's in my best interest. I don't know what should happen. If you can stay in the I don't know mind and then ask whether it will happen for you the same way it did me, things popping or hearing a thought like dishes, you know, or, or whether it will happen for you differently, I can't comment on, but it will happen for you. But the key is not to decide for yourself what you want. Instead, you ask, you know, you're really asking, what am I to do now? You're asking, it's still, what do I want? Uh, let me see if I can explain that. You are never going against your true will when you surrender. What you are surrendering to is your true will. Therefore, when you surrender, and when you ask for guidance, what you're asking for, whether your conscious mind knows it or not, is what you really want in that moment. Um, another type of uh, desire that shows up is kind of anti-desire. It's avoidance. You know, so like if I'm thinking um, it's too cold today, I don't want to go walk the dog. I don't want to go walk the dog. Right. I don't want to go. Aren't I deciding what I want? Right. What I want is not to go walk the dog. <laughs> so you have to watch that too. That was one of the things I learned very early because there were certain tasks that I said I hated. I hate pulling weeds. I hate doing dishes. I hate doing laundry. And yet these things have to be done, don't they? 
And so one of the things I had to do was let go of thinking I didn't want those things. Right. I had to let go of saying, I don't like this. I don't want this because otherwise, um, you know, I'm, I'm blocking just the purity of the flow of guidance. So, uh, but especially now, and of course, you know, I've been doing this for years, but especially now I find it pretty easy to follow guidance. The reason I said, said pretty easy instead of extremely easy is because the thoughts still pop up about what I want and I have to let them go first for it. Let me give you an example. Um, After church every week, my family is waiting to have breakfast. Many times the thought will pop up. I don't want to go have breakfast. I want to stay here. That thought has to be let go. And then I know with certainty what I'm to do is to leave and go have breakfast. So this is kind of like Marisol's question while ago, do you still experience the ego? And the answer is yes, in that I still see it. No, in that I'm not identified with it. You don't find me fighting with my family saying, why can't we have breakfast at 10 instead of 930 so that I can just stay for the next half hour, especially when I'm the minister? What if people have questions? You know, you don't hear that coming from me, right? I just, it's time for me to go to breakfast now. And I just know that it's time for me to go to breakfast now. So I leave and I go to breakfast. But there is still, there is still these thoughts that appear that have to be recognized for what they are. They have to be recognized for self-will or recognized as an I want or I don't want. And then realized that's not what I want, right? That I want whatever I'm guided to do now. And then, and then moving on. So it's, it's pretty easy. It's fairly easy, but it still takes attention. It still takes awareness. In lack of awareness, you know, maybe I would still, well, I don't know if I would or not, because then the pain would kick in. That's what would happen next. What would happen next, going back to the way I answered Marisol, if for some reason I failed to notice that I want to go have breakfast now, I thought I still wanted to stay for another half hour at awakening together. (laughs) As soon as I started fighting for that, the pain would set in. And then I would realize I was wrong and I would change my mind the pain of struggling for ego. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that answers the questions in email. Anything else here before I start to move on? Nothing. All right, then I'm going to move on. So let me um, pull up Dr. David Hawkins' map of consciousness. And let me share my screen. So as we've talked about already, these lower levels, which he calls under level 200, 
um, this is the same as the individual subconscious that is blocking, um, I don't know what to call this ego here. Uh, I don't know what to call it, but it's beyond the individual. You know, what term do you use? Collective ego. What term do you use? The ego of consciousness. I don't know what to call this thing here. And in fact, notice that when I was guided to draw this, it was simply called ego, right? So I guess that's what we'll call it. But the funny thing is, this next level of ego is beyond the apparent individual, which is what we typically think of as ego. Um, but the individual subconscious is purified. These lower energies, shame, guilt, apathy, grief, fear, desire, anger, pride are purified in the courage phase. And because they're purified, they no longer cause great trouble. They may occasionally pop up and cause little trouble, right? But they no longer cause great trouble, which is why you experience neutrality. You see, they're not there causing trouble. So what do you feel? Peace, right? I mean, you know, because that's natural. Peace is natural. Anger is not natural. You have to work at it. Pride is not natural. You have to work at it. Fear is not natural. You have to work at it, et cetera, et cetera. So you move into this neutrality stage. And as I mentioned earlier, Dr. David Hawkins said that many people spend the rest of a lifetime, if they hit neutrality, spend the rest of a lifetime in the neutrality stage. But if you're blessed, like I was, you may hear, don't rest on your laurels, right? You may hear, uh, continue to move. And you may be given some type of guidance that will continue to move you. So the next stage that comes, he calls willingness. I would have called service. As I mentioned to you all when I was talking a while ago, whenever I get guidance, one thing that always comes with that guidance is the motivation to do the job. This is something you are really going to recognize when you are in the willingness stage is lots and lots of motivation, right? There's lots and lots of motivation to do whatever it is for you to do. This is a very, well, he says optimism. This is a very optimistic stage. Uh, he says that it's hopeful. I think hopeful is an interesting word. Um, I was taught to let go of hope much earlier than this, this stage. Uh, because hope was projecting forward desires, uh, positive desires, but still projecting forward desires. Um, so I would not have called it hopeful, um, but there is this um, sense that everything's going to work out okay. And that's probably what he means by hopeful, right? There's just this sense, like I never worried that we wouldn't get awakening together off the ground. You know, I never worried that we wouldn't get a retreat house. You know, I mean, this is what I'm guided to do. Everything I need to do it, all the people are showing up, all the money is showing up, all the motivation is showing up. You know, it, it, it's, it's going to happen, right? So maybe that's what he means by hopeful. So when you're in this particular stage, uh, at least for me, 
there is a great sense of working for God and therefore everything is guaranteed by God, right? You just have to play your part. And there's lots and lots of motivation. Um, at the same time, even though this lower ego has been primarily purified, you know, little, little pieces can still show up and you'll, you'll let them go as they show up. And in fact, one thing you'll find when you're in the service stage is you're already, if you'll pardon the language here, but I think it's good language, you're already a master of the courage stage. So what happens when you're in the willingness stage, if there's a little bit of desire that comes up or a little bit of fear or a little bit of guilt or shame, you're able to look directly at it, recognize it for what it is, and let it go very easily. So stuff still happens, things still come up, but again, the struggle was left way back here in the courage stage. This is now very easily, and you're taking responsibility. You're not blaming anybody else for anything. You're taking responsibility for your own, for whatever's showing up for you. You're looking at it. You're letting it go. It's a very um, energized. That's a good word for it. It's a very energized stage. For me personally, in my story, um, you know, it's hard sometimes to tell when you move from one stage to another. In fact, sometimes I think the doorway is like a year long. It's not like a moment, you know, it's like it's, it took a year to walk through the doorway from one stage to another. Um, but what there are two, two events that happened that I think for me were the moving from willingness to acceptance. And I'm, and I'm going to share these so you can kind of see the difference between willingness and acceptance, because you could be in the courage stage and be practicing acceptance, right? That doesn't mean you're in the acceptance stage. So I wanna talk about the difference between willingness and acceptance. And I do that, I think, by sharing my personal stories. So there were two things that happened, which I think were the doorway between these two stages. Remember I mentioned the doorway between neutrality and willingness was that year of contemplating the seven steps, right? The doorway between willingness and acceptance, there were two things that happened. Um, one thing that happened is there was a very big kind of a, a blow up in awakening together. Um, and actually, I don't remember which came first. I'm going to tell you two stories, but unless I sat down and look really hard at the calendar, in my own mind, I can never remember which event came first and which event came second. But there was this huge blow up in awakening together where uh, a spiritual teacher that we all had great respect for, uh, our sanctuary director that was prior to sign it was not her. Um, one of our awakening together teachers. And then this um, other person, I don't know what to call him. I'll just call him by name because you all know him or some of you know him and you know how he is. The other person was Teddy Poppy. What do you call Teddy? And then Teddy, right? <laughs> if you know Teddy, you know, Teddy likes to kick up a storm sometimes. So he was the fourth person. So we had a spiritual teacher, a sanctuary director, an awakening together teacher and Teddy. And they got into this big uproar. And I'm not quite sure, certain exactly what started it because I was literally away on vacation when it started. Uh, but it got really, really large. 
so large that um, the spiritual teacher was telling me I needed to fire the sanctuary director, that she was going to ruin the organization. The Awakening Together teacher at that time quit the program that he had and said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, Teddy wrote to the board and was telling them all kinds of stuff about me that wasn't true. Um, there was just lots of very angry, very attacking emails flying around. Lots, the thing just got so big, it got so out of proportion. Uh, it was amazing. And what appeared as a very real possibility is that this is where Awakening Together is going to end, right here. Um, so uh, I would have just spent a number of years, along with, of course, trustees and board members and other people, but I would have just spent a number of years building Awakening Together. And now it looks like it, it could be destroyed. It could end right here. And what happened within me uh, was the guidance to do nothing. What happened in me was the guidance to do absolutely nothing. Even when these emails were going to the board uh, saying these things about me that weren't even near truth. I mean, I, you got to wonder how sometimes people come up with stuff. There was zero guidance to even write to the board, to say anything about the emails, no defense, nothing. And the only thing that I could do was drop all the way into myself and accept that if awakening together ends here, that's perfect. Right? That's perfect. That, I think, moved me from the willingness to the acceptance stage. That strong event and that very deep acceptance. Another thing that also happened, which seems to be a sign maybe not as powerful, but seems to be a sign that I moved from the willingness to the acceptance stage was that I received the guidance to start preparing for me to leave Awakening together. And this would have been either some months before or some months after that other event that I just told you about. I don't rightly remember without getting out a calendar and thinking really hard. Um, but there was also this event where we were at a fall retreat and while we were at the fall retreat, I received the guidance to start preparing for the end of the movie, which I, I knew what that meant. And so that also marked the end of a service stage in a way, right? This was a building, building, building stage, right? Building. Now I'm beginning to pass on rather than build. Even though watch building is still happening, you know, I'm still producing but somehow the overall purpose became different. Like now the building is related to the passing on. You see what I'm saying? It's different. When I moved into the acceptance stage, uh, and he calls this forgiveness and harmonious as it, the associated emotional state and the view of life, the harmonious I would really highlight, especially when I moved into the acceptance stage, what began to happen, and some of it I can't talk about, because, um, you know, I'd be talking about people who are in the room and I have no desire to do that. So I'm going to be very general about it. But what would happen was um, there were thoughts in the mind about how things should be. 
Of course, other people have other opinions about how things should be. And these other opinions would come up in meetings. And what I would find my guidance now was always to let the other person have their way. Whenever, whenever it came up, here's how I think things should go. Here's how someone else should th thinks things should go to just say, okay. And so that was the primary fingerprint for me of the acceptance stage. It's like all I was doing was accepting, right? Acceptance, acceptance, acceptance. And, it, you know, this is not necessarily anything that other people even notice because all of the resistance to it, all of the surrender is happening in, in you. And other people don't really notice, I don't think, when you're going with their ideas. That's easy for them, right? <laughs> uh, um, but you notice it. There's a huge amount of surrender that's going into in this acceptance phase. Just you're letting go of self-will. You're letting go of person when you're letting go of self-will. So all these, and also you're letting go of thinking you're right. Because thinking, thinking I'm right is huge for humans, all humans, right? So the next thing that's happening is letting go whenever there's a disagreement, letting go and letting the other person do it their way. And, and, and from my point of view, it was sometimes quite humorous because often what would happen, because I did know a lot about Awakening Together. After all, I had built it. <laughs> and so a lot of times what would happen is we would go with the other person's ideas, but then that wouldn't work out. We'd have to come back around to what I had said in the first place. And that was kind of funny. But it was always let it go that way, see what happens. Let it move off in that direction. Let's watch what happens. You know, just let go, let go, let go, accept, accept, accept. Um, so you see that's slightly different than the way you might be practicing acceptance in the courage stage or even in the willingness stage, because this is now the primary thing going on. That's I think that's how you know what stage you're in, right? It's like the primary thing is just accept, 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 you know, don't ask for anything for yourself, right? Don't, don't, um, you know, there's just nothing you're doing to maintain self-will in this stage. It's all about letting go of self-will. And then at some point, when I think I began to move from acceptance into love, I skipped reason. And we'll talk about that again. I told you before we would, and we will, maybe not tonight. We'll talk about it. But at some point, I think I went from acceptance into love. And uh, the event that makes this stand out in my mind was actually just a vacation. We went on this vacation and the vacation you could say was not the dream vacation. We went to Yellowstone and you know, when you go to Yellowstone, you know, maybe if you're like me, you want the sun to be shining, you know, you want the weather to be kind of nice, right? Uh, it wasn't like that at all. It was pouring down rain, it was cold. <laughs> And yet it was really crowded. Sometimes you couldn't even find a parking spot so you could get out and walk around. So in that way, it wasn't. And it seems like there was something with the food, too, although I don't remember. Um, seems like there were I think I think we were there late enough in the season that not all the restaurants were open. So it was hard to find food. Right. Um, but anyway, what I noticed on vacation was that I was just super happy. 
with everything, like nothing, none of these things that quote, weren't the way you want a vacation to be bothered me. At that point, I assumed that's just because I was on vacation. I thought it was just the vacation mind. But then what happened was I came back and I began to notice that mind was still there. I began to notice, in fact, there were, again, there were some things that my previous mind would have thought were fairly big and shouldn't have happened. And I noticed that they were just, you no longer have to practice acceptance at this point. Acceptance just is, right? There's no practice of acceptance. And so that's when I say, I feel like I move from acceptance to love. And the love stage is a very sweet stage because in the love stage, you are in the process of learning perfect love. Perfect love means absolutely unconditional. So you learn to love everything, including what they call the good, bad, and the ugly. Uh, when you move to this stage, you aren't living from the mind as much as you were in any of the previous stages. All the previous stages had some level of mind. Obviously, the lower you are, the more mind. The higher you are, the less mind. But there was some level of mind. At least in my experience, you can't do love from the mind. The mind is incapable of this particular stage. So the only thing that you can do in this stage is abandon the mind and live from the heart. Now. I still perceive myself in this stage. I do not perceive myself as having perfected the love stage and therefore moved into the joy stage yet. So that's where I put myself now. Therefore, I'm not going to talk about the higher stages because I want to talk to you from experience. Uh, this love stage, however, is just like all of the other stages. When you live in a stage, it gets easier and easier and easier. And for example, as, as you guys know, in spite of the things that are happening in the world, um, I don't find anything in me um, that jumps out of loving all of the characters involved, right? And, and to me, what also happens here, I said that acceptance was really letting go of self-will. Well, since love is really letting go of mind completely, you're also still letting go of self-will. Uh, and this is even ideas like war shouldn't happen. Um, people shouldn't go to schools and shoot other students. Um, and this is why you can't get there with mind. How would mind go there, right? Mind is incapable of non-duality, which is really what love is. Mind has to judge. It's, it has to see good and bad, right and wrong, should be and shouldn't be, better and less than, right? That's, that's what mind is. And so there's no way you can come into the love stage with the mind. It has to be left behind. And what starts to happen here, uh, which might really look bad to others, so other people might start to lose interest in you actually at this point, some people might. 
just like at the lower levels when, between courage and neutrality, where if you found yourself going back into the lower ego after you've gone into neutrality, it's painful. And so therefore you don't do it for long. You drop it really quick because it hurts. You start experiencing that same thing at this level with mind. You start going into mind at all. It becomes uncomfortable. It hurts. And so what you find is that you can't go into mind like you could. And of course, when you first enter a stage, you're at the beginning. When you exit a stage is when you're complete. So this is a progressive, it's progressive, right? Like there'll be more mind at the beginning of the stage and you're in the process of letting it go. Mine would be most painful at the end of the stage. But this gets difficult for a lot of people. <coughs> uh, not for you. Because <coughs> this is your motivation now. But it can get difficult for the people around you because they cannot comprehend life without mind. And so they, they want to pull you back into mind, you know, like um, just simple stuff. Like with my partner, uh, right now he's talking about building a house. I don't know if it will happen. He's talked about it before and it didn't happen. But, you know, he wants me to decide between this, this stucco and this stucco and this stucco. And, and uh, there's nothing in me that, that, is involved in exactly which shade of stucco is important, you know? So it kind of gets difficult sometimes to play these games because I would love any stucco that we picked, you know? And so in some ways it gets harder to play the game of the world once you reach the stage because you, there's not, a, I would say there's not enough person left to play the game of the world well. Now the person is not gone yet. Uh, the person does not go completely until level 600. But what's happening throughout this process is a thinning, thinning, thinning of the person. And so when you get up to around level 500, level 540, even though there's still person present, it's a very thin person. And again, to step into that, is uncomfortable. It's painful. It hurts. It's, it's, it's not where you want to be. You want to be, you know, and yet at the same time, I can do my job really well. You know, like, like I said, when I sit down and I'm listening to those audios or whatever, I don't have any problem doing that because that doesn't actually take mind. That's all just happening in the flow. Right. And the motivation is provided. So it's not like, you know, you reach this stage and you become a, um, a bliss ninny. Um, whatever it is you are to do, it still gets done. Uh, but mind is very painful and it looks like we're out of time. So it looks like I need to stop talking now. So next week, we'll see if you guys have any questions about any of this. Um, and then if not, We'll move in. Well, well, I don't know what we'll move into, to be absolutely honest. I know one thing I want to show you also is NTI's map of consciousness, but um, I don't know if we're ready for that yet or if we need to still hang out here more. I just don't know what's next. So we'll find that out next week. Okay.
All right. See y'all.